I would like to share a few thoughts on Penny as well. We're going to be talking about a few things today from a character in Scripture who is fascinating. And it fits in with our theme of a new thing. God doing a new thing in Isaiah 43. And today we're going to be talking about Rahab. What do we know about Rahab? Anybody give me some ideas here? What do you know about Rahab? from Jericho. Jericho. Okay, she was, she's from Jericho. And what else do we know? She saved the spies that were sent from the Israelite spies. She lived in the outer wall of the city, yes. She was a prostitute or the owner or runner of a brothel or something similar, a bit like that, some kind of thing like that. An ancestor of Jesus. Okay, well, we got a very knowledgeable group here, yes? She was a pagan, a capital P, pagan, right? Okay, she was, a, she was a non-Israelite. She wasn't a Yahweh worshiper, right? Okay, there's a lot we already know, yeah? She made a deal with the spies with, for her and her family. We are going to talk a bit about that as well, yeah? We, we, well. She's mentioned in Hebrews, she's a woman of faith. Very good. All right, sermon over, right? That was a, uh, Excellent. I, um, let me share a few thoughts. So we're going to dip in here. We're going to dip. We don't have long, so we're going to dip into Joshua 2, Joshua 6, to look at Rahab. I'll fill in some of the gaps so we don't have time to look at it in more detail. But uh, we do find that she is mentioned as a person of faith, as you said, in James 2, about the, the blend of faith and actions working together. So a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So there's a connection between the two. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers, that's the spies, and sent them out on another, by another road. So he's talking there about the fact that there is a connection. And we're going to be talking about the connection between obedience, faith, and salvation here uh, today. Uh, where are we? Um, those two colored dots represent to the right Jericho, roughly. That's Jericho near to the Jordan. And the dot to the left, for reference, or slightly below it, is Jerusalem. Okay, so that's where we are uh, between Jerusalem, uh, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is the, uh, the, Jer Jer the Jericho Road that's mentioned about with the, the Good Samaritan, the person going down there. Uh, that's what it looks like today. Penny and I were there a few years ago. In fact, um, here is a view of it, including a very ancient... Uh, first century Renault Megane, uh, you see there. Uh, so this is the, uh, the kind of road area that we're talking about on the way down to Jericho. Today it looks like that, and it claims to be the oldest city in the world. It's been inhabited for, they think, about 10,000 years, uh, certainly uh, a very, very long time, a bit older than <clears throat> Watford, shall we say. So that's what's going on now. In Joshua chapter 2, the people of Israel have crossed the Jordan, and they are encamped around the city of Jericho. And they send some spies in, two of them, and Rahab hides them. And then she does a deal, as somebody mentioned. And they say to her, because she asks them to save her and her family, they say, the Lord your God is indeed God in, uh, she says, sorry, she says to them, the Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since you've dealt, I've dealt kindly with you, because she's hid the spies, kept them from harm. Since I've dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you, in turn, will deal kindly with me and my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. 
So she knows her fate is going to be like the fate of everybody else in Jericho. They're all going to be killed. She trusts that God has revealed this to her when the rest of the people in the city do not, uh, do not believe that. She's the exception here in believing such a thing. And it turns out uh, that the men then say to her, okay, so we'll, do, we'll, we'll save you, um, but you've got to tie this crimson cord, a red scarlet cord. You've got to put that in your window. Now that's where, we, where you let us out through the wall so we can escape. You've got to do that. If you don't do that and don't gather into your house, your father, your mother, your brothers, or your family, then we're not held to our side of the bargain is what uh, he, they tell her. So she says, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away. They departed. And then she tied the crimson cord in the window. She tied the crimson cord um, in the window. Uh, this is obedience of faith. What's the significance of the crimson cord? Nobody knows really, but Danny knows. Okay. There is a speculation that maybe it's something connected to the painting of the blood of the lamb across the lintel when the Israelites left Egypt at the Passover. There's a possibility there's a connection there. Um, it's a little bit speculative. We don't really know. But we can, what we do know is what Rahab knew was that's what God's people told her to do. And they said, if you do this, you'll be fine. If you don't do it, you won't be fine. And if you think about it, I mean, what is a bit of cord? It's of no significance, right? Maybe she had green cord in her house. Maybe she had blue cord. We don't know if she had red cord. Maybe she had to find it somewhere or go and buy it. Or We, we don't really know, but she didn't settle for any handy piece of cord lying around. She was told what was necessary, and so she got the red cord. Can you imagine how, how carefully she tied that cord to her window? Do your shoelaces come undone now and again? Assuming you have laces and not slip-ons. and I don't know, but you know, there's a, there are knots you tie that you pay more careful attention to than others. How carefully did she tie that? Maybe she went away and went back and checked it. And went back and, and maybe at two in the morning she woke up and she thought, I wonder if it's still there. And she went back and checked it. It was still there because her life and, and the life of her family depended on this cord hanging in a window. Can you imagine? Did she also take a risk by people saying, why have you got a scarlet cord hanging out of your window? And she couldn't tell them. Her obedience was immediate, precise, and courageous. And living by faith is, is that. It's, it's about... A bit, Urgently obeying God's call, being precise in our obedience, and courageous because other people may not understand. What saved her was not the cord, right? What saved her was her obedience by faith. Much like being baptized into Christ. What saves us is not getting wet. What saves us is being obedient to the call to repentance and baptism that then we are promised we receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask Penny to come up now and uh, talk a bit about the impact on family as a result. Doing a new thing. Last week we heard from Stefan about uh, the adventure of moving into Namibia on a mission and seeing God work really powerfully. And this time... We're talking about a new thing where we've got in the disaster. 
Rahab in, and her little family had been given instructions about what to do, but they were about to be part of a huge disaster. Um, the scale of which, you know, we've seen recently, if you think about the images we've seen of Gaza, yeah. that city was about to be razed to the ground. And it, Rahab was aware of that. She, she believed that that was what was going to happen. It wasn't what the people around her believed, but it was what she could imagine. And at a personal level, we all had disasters in our families. And family crises take all shapes and sizes. And there's no formula, but I doubt that there's any of us here who has not had or is not in a family crisis. And it is a crisis to us because we care. Be easier if we didn't care. But we love God, we love our fellow man, and these crises are devastating. The last week, Malcolm and I were in Bristol uh, with our daughter, uh, her husband, and their baby to support them in a growing crisis. Another family member, a close family member, has been and continues to be violent and threatening to them. They realized that they needed to move home at significant personal and financial cost. And this was a really difficult week for them uh, that we, we had planned to be there, but it, it, we, we didn't plan on it being a crisis. It just, like Lord knew, you know, this was a good time for us to be there with them. And as they wrestle with the crisis and continue to wrestle with it, we were with them um, just for practical help. Uh, my fingers still smell of Milton and I've got baby drool on the clothes. But we were there with them just to do what we could to encourage them and support them. There was a morning last week when we were in Bristol and I was up early in the dark and I was feeling really angry. I was so angry. And I sat there with God and was speechless. I just didn't know, I didn't know what to say. I didn't have the words. I just had to listen. It's never a bad thing. And in that time of listening with God, while I felt so angry, I felt, I really felt strongly that God was saying, it's okay. You know, we're in the front line of a spiritual battle. Rahab was in the front line of a spiritual battle. I, I don't know the outcome. God was saying, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you're in the right place and I'm with you all. And it was a really strong sense, and it was really deeply reassuring. Rahab found herself in a crisis, fighting for her own life and that of her family, and many of us sit with these big challenges with our families. And when our family life is toughest, my prayer is that we can find wisdom and strength and peace in God for ourselves and our families for the journey, because it is a journey. This was a crisis for Rahab, but it didn't stop when they escaped from the city. She and her family lost their business, their livelihood, their friends. And I don't know what the future holds for our little family, for Lydia, Bintesh and Talea. And I have to be settled with God knowing that I don't know the outcome and I'm not in control of the outcome. And my prayer is for all of us that whatever crises we're in or we find are in, that we can find a place of rest with God and peace 
to, to hold on to him through these crises. Over the last week, Lydia and Bintesh have found another place to stay, which we're grateful for. But we don't know if this will solve the problem. It's certainly a start, and it's a new step in their journey. And for all of our journeys, I pray that we can hold on to God through those crises. Yeah, so this is one of those times in life for us when um, there's a lot of, you know, more uncertainty than certainty, as it seems. And perhaps that's your life at the moment, too. You know, there are lots of us in that situation. Or perhaps something will happen next week. And not to say that life is a permanent crisis, but life is one of the, is a journey where there are just bumps in the road, right? And our faith is tested, especially our obedience to God is tested by those moments, but they can also be moments of transformation. And for Rahab, she chose to see God at work in this, to save her and her family. And perhaps that's true for many of us even here today. Um, in Joshua 6, when the invasion and destruction of Jericho happens, it says that the young men who had been spies, the ones who had been in her place, they went in, and even though everybody else was destroyed, they brought Rahab out along with her father, her mother, her brothers, all who belonged to her. They brought all of her kindred out and set them outside the camp of Israel. All of them. Imagine she persuaded her dad, her brothers, her mother, Lots of other people, come and, come, and, come and stay with me, whether they were already staying there or not. Come and, come and stay with me. You need to come over and let's have a sleepover. All the family, everybody, must have been packed in that place, right? Rahab, we see, prioritizes her family, not just herself. She could have hidden the spies and said, save me. And they would have. But she didn't say that. She said, save me and my family. And she got as many as she could persuade to join her. Now, of course, she couldn't control her family like none of us can. And that's actually a good thing. We shouldn't be able to control each other. But she was persuasive. She did her best. I love uh, this quote from Amanda Kaner. Some of us will know the Kaners. Uh, she said, writing about this, it must have been an interesting period for Rahab's extended family, all squashed into her house like a mini ark on the edge of a terrorized city, waiting for the unknown. Imagine what that was like. But they trusted her, she trusted God, and she and her entire family were saved from destruction. I wonder whether this might be a good time in a lot of our lives to take some extra time to pray for our extended family. Maybe this week. Maybe we could take some extra time, some specific time, maybe in the morning or a lunchtime or an evening, to set some time aside to pray for our families. And not just the ones in our house, though definitely those, but our extended families, aunts and uncles, grandparents, uh, cousins, and step-parents or step-brothers uh, and sisters, or, you know, uh, as the family spreads, maybe we could take some time to pray for them. Because what we have here... What I have here, what we have here, is so precious and so rare that surely we recognize this isn't just for you and me. It's for the family. Why don't we actually pray together now? And let's pray for that before we finish off today. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you that you care about families. You care about mums and dads and children. You care about grandparents and aunts and uncles and all the way from, really from, I suppose, Noah or Abraham, all the way through, we can see the way that you're working in families and trying to help families have, have a unified faith and, and so that everybody can be, can be in a state of being blessed by you through, through somebody in a family, whether that's an Abraham or a Rahab or somebody else, Father, you, you have that dream that families would be united in Christ. We pray, Father, you'd help us to be the right representatives to, the, to our families of Jesus so that they would, they would understand what you, who you are and what you're like and what Jesus came to do. Help us to be little disciples of Jesus to all the family we have, especially, God, those in our homes, but also, Father, those further away. Father, help us to pray for neglected family members. I can think of parts of my extended family I haven't prayed for for a while. Father, please help me to repent of that and to include them in, <clears throat> in my prayers and in my communication and phoning them and doing whatever it really takes to, to let them know that I care and the love of Jesus can be theirs through, maybe through me. Father, I pray, help us to care about our family, to love our families, to not neglect, especially not neglect those who are distant or not neglect those who we find difficult. Help us to love everybody with the love of Christ. Thank you for Rahab's wonderful example. Uh, we pray that you'll help us to have the same kind of obedient, trusting faith that she did. We pray all this in Jesus' name.